Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and I'm very pleased to welcome back to the program one of our favorite guests, probably the guest who's been on the most, because he's an excellent podcast guest, always brings uh, opinions and a point of view, and, and that's what we like. Uh, it's uh, John Springer, Mets by the Numbers, and 2,800 other books, if I remember correctly. That's doing, an exaggeration, but yeah, hi, I'm, I'm glad to be here myself. All right. Now, uh, last time you were here, I think you had just published uh, a book. Uh, um, it, it's hard for me to keep straight. I want to say that it was the one about the uh, the team that went zero in one hundred and sixty two. It's but, close. Yeah, they uh, went two two and uh, eighteen. The uh, eighteen eighty four Wilmington Quick Steps. And how has been the reception for the Quick Steps book? Uh, the people who've read it have liked it, but there's been very few of them. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the problem when you write about 19th century minor league baseball. It's just not a very built, big built-in audience. What was the old saying about the, the Velvet Underground? They only sold like 25 records, but everyone who bought a record ended up starting a starting band. Starting a band, yeah. Well, we'll see about the, uh, uh, the proliferation of, uh, of old, old-timey ball players. <laughs> well, with that uh, that uh, under our hat, let's uh, uh, bring it to the 21st century and talk about our Mets. Uh, Mickey Calloway, he's come under a lot of scrutiny for a lot of different things, but I guess maybe the thing that's got the most ire from the fans is his bullpen deployment. Where do you stand on uh, Mickey's bullpen uh, issues? I'm not as uh, apoplectic about it um, probably than the than the regular fans. You can always complain um, about certain things. And, and uh, so I've got, you know, I've got an issue where he kind of, you know, willingly made such a, uh, an ass of himself the other night where he was talking about how he wouldn't use Edwin Diaz in any situation but a clean inning and, and, and that kind of thing. But uh, so th- that deserves some scrutiny. But, uh, you know, otherwise it's, it's really not up to him to pitch and and you know look guys guys get the job done when they're asked to and your bullpen management doesn't look nearly as bad as it as it does in real life so uh, it's a mix you know I, I get why he's trying to be careful and and so forth it's april you know he doesn't want to uh, blow up anybody but um so other than the issue of of uh, you know the leverage which i know is a big deal um you know, I'm not too. I'm not too upset about that. I've got. I got other Mickey problems. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm in the minority because I'm. I had no problem with his uh, saying that he wanted to use Diaz for an inning or, or fewer uh, here during the regular season, and that's essentially the way that he was used in Seattle uh, right. last year when he was one of the best reliever seasons ever. Yeah. So I mean, why would you mess with success? Because it, you know, as things turned out the other night, you had, you know, Gazelman and Familia, both who are struggling, pitching the highest leverage innings and, you know, uh, you know, were to go to uh, further extra innings. Uh, Drew Gagneau is your is your stopper. And, you know, you leave your best pitcher in the bullpen. Um, now, fortunate for us, you know, things worked out um, and, and, and we got the, the victory that night. But uh you know, to defend it by saying, you know, we're only going to do this. I don't know. I think it diminishes Diaz to a certain extent. You know, we're only going to use this guy. It's like it's like getting the baton in a relay race when the first three guys have, have lapped their, their opponents. And all you really got to do is is get to the finish line. Now, now Diaz is, uh, you know, good enough stuff to uh, to get team 
get get teams out of trouble when when they need them to, and not not just you know to finish the last lap. Now, I understand the argument against saving your best guy for the ninth inning with a three-run lead, but I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this is guy is a one-inning pitcher, and you know maybe he needs to be used in the eighth sometimes. But I don't think that was the okay. case. I don't think that was the case last night or. Uh, yeah, it was last night, uh, two nights ago. Sorry, um, and and then, but to me, the the issue that I had with the way that he ran the bullpen that night was taking out Lugo when he did, because they've established that they're not going to pitch Lugo. Uh, they're going to give him several days of rest after he pitches a multi-inning assignment. Why not throw him out there for a third inning? He was in there. He was warm. He was pitching well. His pitch count was not outrageous. The, the guy has been a starter as recently as last year. And the conditions were not good, and he was one of the ones, one of the few pitchers who was able to, to pitch well in that. So yeah. I would have rather have seen uh, Lugo in, in the eighth inning rather than Familia. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I, I don't remember the exact uh, circumstances that, uh, of that game. I know that uh, Lugo was in there, and, and obviously, you know, li- listen, in, 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 in Mickey's defense there, you've got a guy like Familia, you know, the back of his baseball card will tell you that he, he can get through an inning and without without trouble. You know, the problem was he put three guys on base in a row um, and, and, and wasn't close to the strike zone. So, you know, that kind of stuff will happen. Uh, from time to time, but you, you make a good point about about Lugos, particularly if they're going to kind of hamstring themselves on how often they can use him. You know, maybe they use him for three innings, you know, when they need to, and 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 you know, don't needlessly take him out. But it's the same. It's it's really the same rule that that you know gets familiar into the eighth inning is the rule that gets uh, Diaz only into the ninth inning, and that you know that's the that's the passing of the baton in the relay race I mean that's how you know that, that that's how you, you you tend to manage things now to me the reason to avoid using familiar in that game was his previous outing he was not good and right. the conditions were less than ideal for pitchers when we had seen that all game long and it just seemed to be asking for trouble to to bring in a guy who had not pitched particularly well and then ask him to perform in those conditions. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, you're right. I, I guess Mickey, you know, relies to it to a certain degree, probably more so than is good for him on, you know, this structure, you know, with the idea of falling back on it more often than not will, will work out in his favor. But you've got to be able to be flexible enough to adapt to conditions like bad weather, uh, you know, a certain guy not having it. You know, what always bothered me sometimes is, is – you know, they would bring in a guy from a bullpen who obviously doesn't have it. And, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if, if they lose it on the way from the bullpen to the mound or or not. But, um, you know, occasionally it would be refreshing to see a bullpen that was actually managed by, you know, from the bullpen. How, how well is this guy throwing? You know, how does this guy feel today? Um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we hardly ever see that. It seems like. I mean, we don't have the, the, the visibility into that, but it, it, it would seem that were you to rely on, you know, external data like that, you might not want to bring Familia into the uh, eighth inning there. Well, that's a, a really interesting thing, and I guess it's something that I had never considered before. Yeah. So if you were going to do that, wouldn't your best option to have your pitching coach in the bullpen? 
you've got a bullpen coach, right? And, and one of the things that I thought might be different this year is that after several years uh, with the same personnel out there, uh, you know, Langill, the bullpen catcher, and um, I guess it's Racchinello, is he a bullpen guy too? And, and Ricky Bones, they've got a, a new bullpen coach this year, and I can't remember his name. Um, but I thought maybe that might, might, you know, we might see some different things. But you know what? I mean, this season, it's early, but this season's looking like last year where, where you've got a bunch of relief pitchers who are all doing poorly and, you know, only one or two who are doing, who are doing anything decent. Well, to me, you would then be asking the bullpen coach to almost, in a way, supersede the pitching coach. If, yeah. You know, the manager and the pitching coach are in the dugout and they're discussing things and they say, get familiar up. But then, meanwhile, he doesn't have anything, and the bullpen guy is going to override him. Does does that lead to any bruised egos? Yeah, I mean, it might. I, I guess the I guess the right way to ask that question is, uh, you know, we want Familia. If Familia's got it, does Familia got it? Yes. All right, we're bringing him in. No, we're not bringing him in. Let's think of an excuse to tell the reporters when they ask us later. <laughs> All right. Well, you said something earlier that that I want to jump on, and that's flexible enough to adapt. Right. And I want to know if we're flexible enough to uh, adapt to, um, let's call it a developing situation at second base, where uh, Robinson Cano, uh, after tonight's game, today's game, has a 192-253-329 line. It's Admittedly, bad. 74 plate appearances, not a huge sample. But at what point do you worry? How long will his leash be? Well, his, his leash is going to be very long, right? Um, because there he's not he's immovable object given his uh, his salary and the, and the strenuousness of that trade and um, you know everything else you know he's batting third in the lineup um, you know so he's going to have a long leash um, I, I I would tend to give guys 150 plate appearances before I really start to make uh, my mind up about them I think the um, the number I read, and, and 74 is a pretty good number, but 75 PAs, I think the, the uh, comment I've read before, and I believe, is that anything can happen in 75 plate appearances. So let's get two sets of 75 plate appearances and then look at them. And, you know, I wouldn't even consider uh, anything drastic until then. You know, unless he goes down to, you know, 092 at, at <laughs> you know, after another 50. But... I, I can't imagine that'll be the case. Now, we're roughly the same age, so I'm going to take it on faith that you remember uh, 1979 and, and Richie Hebner. And when the Mets, very well. the Mets acquired Hebner, he came to the only realization that a, a uh, living, breathing human being would be, that his situation stunk and he didn't want to be on the Mets. And he pretty much said so. And the, the fan base's reaction was like, hey, What's so bad about us? But in, a, in, in turn, my impression was that the team and the announcers did everything they could in their power to make Hebner feel more welcome. They batted him clean up. They played him every day. And anytime he did anything remotely positive, it was praise to the heavens. Uh-huh. And I feel like we're a little bit on that road with Cano. <laughs> I can see that. It helped Cano Case to hit a home run in his first Met at bat, and it's kind of yes. been downhill from there. But yes. um, 
Yeah, but no, that's true. I'm, and the team's obviously vested in, in his being successful. I mean, you know, particularly early, given how long, you know, he's going to be hanging around uh, City Field. I mean, you know, from the jump, it just looked like a, 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 the kind of risk the Mets didn't need to take. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of, of you know getting the relief pitcher with the most saves from last year anyway. Not that Diaz is a bad thing to have, but but Cano is a big price to pay for it, so to speak. Uh, you know, if he's going to put up a line like this and bat third for the next five years while being 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, and 41. So uh, you know, I'm not a not a big fan of of, of the Cano trade and, and not a big fan of Cano so far. In today's game, prior to his first at bat, uh, Gary Cohen made a big, uh, big deal about the fact that he was three for ten in this series. So then, then after today, he's uh, three for thirteen. Yeah. So um, you know, I wonder if uh, the enthusiasm wanes a little bit uh, going forward with that. And and yes, it's seventy-four plate appearances. It's a very short sample. He goes on a hot week. You know, then he's backed up to respectability. Kind of like what uh, Brandon Nimmo did before he got hurt. Correct. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I have I have more faith in Nimmo becoming uh, sustainably good than than Cano probably, but but Cano's better than he looks so far. I hope. Um, you know, let's just hope he doesn't turn out to be uh, uh, you know Robbie Alomar. You know, it's it's possible. Or Carlos Baerga. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really compare him more to, more to Alomar now I think about it. Uh, and that Cano was, uh, Bayerga was kind of a short burning star to begin with and, and kind of came to us, uh, you know, on the downside already. Whereas whereas Cano was still considered a superstar and, and, and um, Alomar pretty much the same, uh, although it, it was foreseeable they would downturn at some point. Now I'd I'd love to sit and and bash on the uh, the Yankee drug cheat all night long, but uh, let's go and bash on Mickey Calloway again a little bit more. Okay. Now I, I I don't think I hit the nail on the head for what issues you seem to have with him. Uh, care to elaborate? What is uh, what's uh, nagging at you? Uh, you know I I I mean I, I guess you're you're kind of talking about um, you know the 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 roster management issues in the game and again um you know he doesn't always give themselves the 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 best option because they have too many relief pitchers on the uh too many pitchers on the roster generally now um and that and that makes a manager look stupid um but um you know my, my concern with mickey is that uh, let's put it this way he he's uh, he, he didn't distinguish himself in his first year as a manager, and he's kind of got a better club this year, and he's still not distinguished himself yet. So, um, yeah, that, that's sort of that, that's sort of my main issue with him. Uh, you know, uh, I, I I I know that today, for example, he he pinch hit in the ninth inning uh, for Darno with the only other catcher. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Ramos gets hit. Uh, you know, maybe you're in trouble at that point, but you know that'll happen when you've got two catchers you know if, if they if he doesn't want to encounter that problem you know he could he could you know get by with one with one less pitcher but then again you know when Steven Matz doesn't get anybody out um, you know that's that's tough now managing has become such paint by numbers 
uh, in in the approach because everything is done to avoid second guessing of you. So, I guess my question is: Is it really possible for a manager to wow you here in the twenty first century? I think I think it's possible in that, um, but but I uh, yes. Um, I, I think of a good Mets manager as a guy like uh, uh, Valentine, who, you know, you could you could argue with his X's and O's from for, for, from time to time, but he rarely got outmanaged by the other guy, um, and uh, you know did enough things off the field to sort of embody the role of manager in a way that that made him special to the Mets, and and you know, in, in, to, to my mind, you know, wasn't a huge advantage but was never a disadvantage um with mickey i'm i'm sort of indifferent to his strategy i'm i'm uh, i'm indifferent to sort of down on the way he's been handling the press and his kind of personality and his embodiment of the role and i'm not sure whether or not the players listen to him um and you know it's that last thing that gets you fired or or retained really it's uh uh you know whether the guys play for him or not and and you know you want to give them a mulligan for the first year because they had injuries and, and uh, you know, they were obviously going through other upheavals in the front office and uh, the, you know, ongoing coup that was going on. Um, so you, so you give them a mulligan for that, but you know, this year he's really got a, he's kind of, he needs to sort of establish himself as, as somebody who's not going to potentially be a disadvantage against the other team's managers and he hasn't proven that to me yet. You bring up something that's real interesting to me, and, and I hearken back to Terry Collins. And while Collins was employed, everyone was talking about what a great clubhouse the Mets had. Yeah. And my response always to that was, well, who's the malcontent? You had Curtis Granderson, who was maybe the, the most loved guy in the league. And if it wasn't Curtis Granderson, it was David Wright. Mm-hmm. And and then they added as Drupal Cabrera, who got nothing but praise. And... You know, the people would say, well, how about uh, Cespedes? But he bent over backwards to do everything Cespedes wanted. So Cespedes was in his corner. Yeah. I mean, no, the closest, no, I, yeah. I was going to say the closest thing that he had to uh, um, a malcontent was uh, Jordani Valdesman. And, <laughs> and, he, and he handled that incredibly poorly. I don't remember the actual Valdesman issue this time. What are you referring to? Oh, he was just general was that I'm the man now and, oh, of course and, yeah uh, uh, you know going out there and playing without a cup and getting knocked in the gonads and <laughs> right, right just just his uh, general brashness I guess for, a, for what a lack was of Collins a role word. in that in that controversy um, uh, I don't remember the the exact yeah. thing I think there was more than one okay and uh, essentially he just uh, hung him out to dry was yeah. uh, was was my take on on the issue that uh, he didn't view uh, Valdesman as worth his uh, worth his time. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think his, his Valdesman's uh, uh, teammates did either. So I, I you know that's one of those <laughs> things where they where they sort of aligned on. I mean, remember that John Buck it, it hit him in the face with a pie that looked like a, a, a an assault. He should have been <laughs> he should have been uh, arrested um, after that. But um, you know. I, look, look, uh, you know, Terry, who I had my, my issues with from time to time, you know, 
did one thing really well as Mets manager, and that is he made a friend of everybody who covered that team, you know, in the broadcast booth and the press and every newspaper. And they all respected him so highly. And that got him uh, uh, plenty Seven of years. juice. Yeah. 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 It lasted way longer than anybody would have ever expected him to. So, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that, that Callaway, you know, for all of his, the good things they said about him on the way in and about his, his, uh, you know how about how bright he was and 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 how charming he was and everything. He comes off to me a little wooden and a little bit uncomfortable and not necessarily um, anxious to reveal himself in these interviews with the press. I think he you know there's an air of him that you know suggests that he would rather not be doing answering questions. <laughs> you know when he gets asked them. You know Willie Willie Randolph had the same uh, uh, trait too, of course, and. Um, that was a flaw, you know, and that and, and, and that, that that was one of the things that contributed to his his uh, eventual uh, uh, firing. We have to admit that it's tough to be a first-time manager, and it's especially tough to be a first-time manager in New York if you're not used to what's going to happen yeah. with 80 million outlets questioning your every move, and you, you got to embrace it, and it. To me, it's not rocket science. Uh, Terry Collins did it. How hard can it be? Yeah, well, some you know. Listen, Collins had a, a lifetime in in baseball and and three or, or two or three managing jobs before he came to the Mets. So, uh, you know, he'd been through it. He'd made his own mistakes as a rookie manager and as a sophomore manager and as a you know a fourth year manager. Um, whereas Callaway, you know, I mean, he was chosen. However, I think because he was, they believed he was capable of that and. You know, again, it's it's relatively early in his career, but he's got to start showing that, or uh, or the club's going to have to start winning uh, very consistently, or he's not going to make it till next year. And not 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 to say he's going to be fired this year, but he probably won't be brought back. I think he's on a two year deal, is he not? Uh, I don't remember the terms. I I guess I'd be surprised if it was two. I think this is his last year. Uh, so you, you may very well be right. And maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? I'm going to look um, that up. But to me, I was I was pleased with the hiring, because I thought this was a pitching-centric team, and we we needed to get somebody who was competent on that end in the dugout, and and I think that the the, the Callaway Island Brain Trust deserves some credit for uh, introducing a, a new philosophy. Uh, I think the the Mets were by far the most aggressive team in pitching inside last year. And, and certainly we got a healthy year out of Steven Matz and, and, a, and a phenomenal year out of Zach Wheeler last year. And yeah. DeGrom didn't do too bad either. Nope. So, nope. That was you know, a, it, listen, it was a great it was a great year of success for those guys. Um, so, yeah, I agree. There's, um, uh, you know, maybe he deserves some credit for that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not not crediting him for that. I just I just feel like he's got to he's got to manage certain aspects of the of the role a little bit better. Uh, and and so far it looks like the players are, are tolerating him. Um, I, I can't detect whether there's, you know, whether there's any any uh, tension or distrust uh, among the players. Although although, you know, Jay Bruce for one doesn't seem to be, you know, didn't seem to have been happy last year. That might have been more physical than than psychological or whatever. But um, there's that. You know, there's these niggling things with the bullpen management and the lineup management that we talked about earlier. And, and then there's this, this idea of, of sort of being present and being the manager of the Mets or, or just being yourself and being the manager of the Mets, but being comfortable with that. And, and I don't see it yet. 
All right. Well, I feel like maybe we've been a little too negative up until now. So let's uh, let's bring perhaps the uh, the brightest light in, and that's Jeff McNeil. Love him. The guy just hits and hits and hits. <laughs> He's doesn't hit matter. Four hundred this year. <laughs> doesn't matter who the pitcher is. What kind of stuff they throw. Two hits. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's almost automatic. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. He's yeah. great. I He's love great. him. He's he's awesome. Yeah, but, he, uh, he he. You know what's interesting? He's a uh, apparently he's a, a good enough golfer to have considered a pro career in golfing. And uh, there's just something consistent and 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 uh, fluid and fast and sharp about his swing that looks like it's just gonna it's built to last. You know, this guy's gonna be around for a while. I hope. You know, that's that's one of the things I like about him. And and he flashed some leather at third base the other night too. Yeah, I mean, it looked, re- looked really good. Yep, yep. But unfortunately, yep. they have to play him in the outfield. Well, I'm okay with that. Um, he doesn't look like an outfielder. He doesn't. But you know what? Uh, you know, you know. You, I guess your other choice is second base, and and then maybe we could solve the Cano problem if that's really a problem after 150 plate appearances. I'll consider that. Um, but for now, you know, I, I don't mind. I don't mind putting him in the outfield. So when the the two guys who are currently uh, on the injured list, Frazier and Lowry, when they return, you, you move you move him to left field and and he's the everyday left fielder. I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, I I I I'd consider moving Frazier if I could. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But um, I mean, I don't think Frazier's going to become an everyday guy uh, anymore. So maybe he backs up uh, at the corners and. I mean, there's some some talk that he could back up at shortstop, but um, you know, I don't know. Maybe we can trade Frazier to the Yankees or something. <laughs> like, I just don't. Uh, I don't see uh, uh, a role for and and Lowry is, you know, interesting too, right? I, you know, I got I got some problems with with veteran guys who get hurt during their first spring training with the Mets. Um, or even their second spring training with the Mets after having a disappointing first year like Jason Bay did, and and just never kind of gets untracked. You know, Swarzak is another guy, gets gets hurt in spring training, never gets untracked as a Met. Uh, so I'm my antenna is up for Lowry being disappointed. Um, I, I was never a fan of Frazier, and don't look for, forward to him coming back at all, and and don't really want anything to interfere with Jeff McNeil. So. <laughs> Yeah, listen, it's it's almost proven that we don't need Lowry, you know? I mean, and it's almost proven that we don't need Frazier. Well, I think uh, pretty much everyone or a large majority of people would agree that they don't need Frazier at this point. I think he yeah. was such a disappointment with the injuries last year. And I think what gets lost a little bit is before the injuries hit, he was doing exactly what you hope he'd do. He got off to a great start last year before yeah. the injuries hit, and then – uh, by the end of the year, when he was allegedly healthy, he he looked like a, a guy who had never seen major league pitching before. He was he's brutal. A, he's such a uh, an aesthetically unpleasing guy to watch. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I he, he's good. He's good with the gloves. So don't get me wrong there. But I mean, his swing. He just kind of has this. Swing. I just don't like. Like one of the things I, I enjoy about baseball, and this is sort of developed over my lifetime, but I I actually enjoy sort of watching the the physical movement of the ball players more than I used to as a fan and um, you know Frazier is just he's just not a guy you want to watch his, his swing is kind of he's out, out there it looks like he's reaching for everything he swings with one hand he's just you know 
I just don't want to see him. I don't want to see him on the Mets anymore. I just don't want to see the guy. Uh, and, and apparently he's a great guy and everything else, but I just, you know, we could do without him. And listen, uh, Lowry, you know, sounds like a great uh, investment, but, you know, I mean, here we're in a situation where we can't afford the, the pitching we, you know, report supposedly need, and Brody's gone out and spent our money on, a, on an infielder we don't need. You know, it's... Come on, we've already talked about Canal. Yeah, yeah, that that guy too. Yeah. So, anyway. So I I completely get what you're saying about the the aesthetic value, and and that's I think a large reason why people like Keon Broxton so much. Because yeah. he looks like a ball player. He moves like a ball player. But yeah. You look at the results and you go, ugh. And yeah. And to me, it, it's almost a little bit like Sid Fernandez pitching. To me, watching a game pitched by Sid Fernandez was a chore. It was no fun at all to watch Sid Fernandez pitch. So I got to the point where I didn't watch him pitch. I just looked at the line score the next day. Interesting. And I, and I, I really enjoyed him once I stopped actually watching <laughs> him pitch. And, and and I get what you're saying about Frazier because certainly in, in September, he, he just looked dismal. He looked lost. Yeah. He was hopeless, and he was flailing all over the place. Yeah. And, and, listen, and I wonder if that's best, really who he is. Yeah, and even at his best, he was a guy who struck out 160 times a year. And, and well, that's just the era we live in. Yeah, but right, and that makes him an average ball player. He was never a great ball player <laughs> because I think I think people look at Frazier and they go, "Hey, look how many home runs he hits," and they don't realize that's got to be relative too, right? So, but the you know, the combination of his power and his defense made him an above average player. I agree. The the defense, you know, they felt like that was important. And, uh, you know, as it turned it out... Was. It was. The been... infield defense was atrocious Yeah. Be- before and... he came. 2017 and 16, that infield defense with all... Flores playing third base? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. And, and as it turned out, it would have been a bad idea, you know, to wait for David Wright to come back, which might have been my <laughs> who, plan who last could have guessed? <laughs> I know. But, but you know what? I mean, that might have been my plan instead of instead of say, uh, signing Frazier, you know. But, um, you know... I, I just uh, – I don't know if anybody who's looking forward to Frazier coming back. Anybody? Like, the Mets think that the fans love him. They gave him a bobblehead already. I mean, it's just like it, – it was a little bit like Tom Glavin, you know. The Wilpons love Tom Glavin. And, uh, you know, they hung out with him in Greenwich and showed him the real estate and, and all that stuff. And they made a big party when he won his 300th game. Um and the fans just didn't care, you know. And, and, of course, you know, when things didn't end well for Glavin, all that pent-up, you know, we never wanted you here in the first place kind of came out. Um, he didn't mind the in-between. But, um, you know, some guys, some guys don't, don't belong on the Mets. And, and I'd say that Frazier is one of them and uh, Tom Glavin was one of them. Well, I, I certainly agree Robbie, with... Robbie Cano is one of them. I certainly agree with two of those three. I, th- I think that Frazier's circumstance killed him because, you know, the, one of the selling points with him is like, well, this is a guy, he's got, he's got power, he's, he's, a, he's a very strong fielder at third base, and he never gets hurt. Yeah. So what happened? He, he goes on the, uh, well, we can call it the disabled list because that's what it was uh, in 2018. He goes right. on DL twice, never been on it before in his life. Yeah. And, and in the interim, Jeff McNeil comes up. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm I was in a hundred percent favor of the Todd Frazier signing when it happened prior to the 2018 season, but because he got hurt, because McNeil has performed so well, because they've added other pieces around him, he's got no place. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't bear him any ill will, but I don't want to see him back either because there's no place for him. We need we need to find a team that needs an infielder. Anybody need a third baseman? Hey, maybe we can throw maybe we can do one of those trades where we we throw all of the guys that we don't want <laughs> and and, get and then get a star yeah. in return. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I don't, don't see what the problem with that is. <laughs> well, speaking of stars, how about everyone's favorite star, Pete Alonso? Um uh great start. Um, does he keep it up? I don't know. Um, so, uh, so far, so good with Peter, Peter Alonso. Now, I, I guess I was maybe a little more uh, bearish on him coming into the year than a lot of other people were. Uh, I, don't I, was, think I was a bear, too, i got to tell you. Everyone, everyone could see the power. Um, no, one, no one doubted the power. I think there were two main questions about him was could he hack it defensively and the other was would he get exploited by major league pitchers and to me he's looked more than fine at first base i don't have any issues with him i mean he's he's not going to be great going back on pop-ups and he's not going to have great range going to his right but he he does an excellent job i think of of stretching and and picking out balls in the dirt and if you want your first baseman to do two things i'd say those are the two things you want him to do yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. He hasn't he hasn't been nearly as bad as uh, you might have imagined that he'd be so far. So the pitchers, they 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 certainly um, and again everything we're dealing with right now is is small sample. And in, in the the first week, it seemed like everything the pitchers threw up there, he was crushing, and and now this certainly this series against the the Phillies, it it looked like he was reaching for every. It looked like he was doing a Todd Frazier imitation. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, my, my, my feeling on, on uh, Alonso coming in was that, you know, I worried that the expectations were unreasonable for him, just as they were for Dominic Smith when he came up for the first time, and maybe how they were for Ike Davis when he came up for the first time. It is, it is hard to break in Major League Baseball as a first baseman, because first basemen have to be productive, and they have to be competent, and... You know, if you're not, then your your career could be over very quickly, or your your opportunity could be over really quickly. And I I I just kind of I, I naturally sort of pull back against the against the masses when they say they have to do they must do this. I go, well, they don't must do anything, you know. So um, so I was concerned that um, you know there was every opportunity that Alonzo's. Um, you know, power and, and particularly strikeouts that he that he you know encountered in the minors wouldn't necessarily uh, you know strikeouts wouldn't get better and his power wouldn't necessarily get better um, moving up the ladder. Um, now so far he's proved me wrong on that and I'm I'm delighted. But um, you know uh, it's just it's tough to it's really hard to establish yourself as a major league first baseman and the Mets are the best example of that from Davis to Duda to Dom Smith to Alonzo and I think there's one more I'm in there I'm forgetting about but um, are these guys who look good at first and did not stick well I mean I think I have to push back just a little bit on Davis because he came up and hit right away um, right. He, he was called up from, from the minors very early and, and had essentially a full season right. and then the start of his second season he was off to a great start and then he had the collision with Wright yeah. And then it seemed like he never really got all the way back after that point. Because, I mean, he was that rare um, 
player who, who, like, the day he stepped onto the field, like, was as good as he will ever be. And, uh, I mean, and I'm not saying that he that it, it takes a long time to necessarily be successful, but you got to sustain that as well. So, um, but yeah, he was like a, he played like a veteran, and as it turned out, he was like a 42-year-old in a 22-year-old's body, <laughs> you know. I mean, he could not stay healthy. Um, I still don't know what his injury was that, that happened. He didn't even collide with Wright. He, he, it's like he stumbled backwards while trying to catch a pop fly and never got better. It was the bizarre injury. Anyway. <laughs> now, you mentioned it was almost like a 42 and a, and a 22-year-old body, and, and I think that you know maybe not in the specific case of, of Davis, but just in, in, in baseball in general, I think there's enough examples of guys who come up and do well right away and aren't able to either improve or even sustain it, you know, over multiple years. I mean, how many times have we seen a, a Joe Charbonneau come up and, and win Rookie yeah. of the Year and, and not be able to repeat it? So to me, that kind of played into the everyone was losing their mind about bringing Alonzo North to start the season, you know, worried about that extra year of control. Yeah. And it's like, look, if, if, if you really think that he's one of your best guys, and you think that the division is going to be tough because there's four teams in it all looking to win. Are you really willing to play without your best guy for three weeks in the hopes that you get him to keep him for a seventh year where he may or may not be good? Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the thing about the service time thing. I mean, you've got to be the luckiest team in the world to gamble on a guy being good six years down the road. You know what I mean? It's just, to me, that, 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 the the ball clubs overdid it in their um, uh, pursuit of this thing, and I understand they they're into controlling costs, you know. But um, you know, I mean, not everybody is is going to be that good. And now they're figured out other ways to do it too. They're signing their guys sooner. They're buying out their free agent and arbitration years, um, everything else um, to sort of avoid needing to do that because they they are looking foolish sometimes. Listen, if a guy's ready to go, they should bring him up whether or not they have to, you know, have a hard decision to make six years down the road. Boy, I certainly don't care about that. So you mentioned Dominic Smith earlier, and I'd like to, to talk about him. He's he's done, I think, remarkably well here in a reserve role. But, you know, certainly he's one of the guys who's on the, the chopping block when, when Frazier and, and Lowry return. Yeah, and, he is. And um, can, yeah. can they really do that to him? I mean, he, he's got, what? an OPS over a thousand. Yeah, I like him too. Um, you know, I, again, this is one of the reasons that, that, you know, not, not, I don't want to, I don't want to come off as being against, uh, Alonzo at all, but, but willing to, uh, be patient with Smith because Smith is, is younger than Alonzo even. And, um, uh, he looks absolutely great. I mean, he looks like a major league hitter, uh, when he gets up there, and he's not all sleepy-eyed and dopey-looking like he was the first couple times we saw him. Wow! You know, you know that, right? I mean, as it turned out, he had a sleeping problem and, and everything right, else, right? right? But, you know, I mean, he kind of looked a little disinterested and, you know... Sleepy-eyed and dopey. Yeah, he did. <laughs> hey, he... do they still have the, 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 the weekend where the players get to, to, to wear their nicknames on their back? We can no, get yeah. either one either one of those would be Sleepy fine. Sleepy-eyes or dopey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He did. I mean, look, but he looks great. I mean, when he's not when he's not getting a hit, he's getting a walk, uh, and that's the kind of player that he was when he was going good in the minor leagues. 
um, and looked like he kind of had the skills that that you know would translate to the big leagues. Well, you you look at you look at uh, Alonzo up until last year, especially. You know, he looked like to me he looked like a guy who's going to strike out too much in the big leagues, and you know maybe some of those strikeouts would come at the cost of his power, and he wouldn't you know hit the home runs. Uh, Smith, on the other hand, not going to hit a lot of home runs, but is probably going to get on base and and do a fair amount of gap to gap hitting and extra base hits and. You know, I don't mind that in a in a uh, you know in a corner uh, uh, production guy. But again, he got off to a bad start, um, and and you know didn't ingratiate himself to the organization or his teammates right away. And I think that's made his road back a little bit harder. But uh, I like the guy, uh, and and I hope he uh, finds a way to stay, especially if you know Alonzo you know looks any more slumpy, um, and and needs to. Uh, uh, you know, have a have a breather here. Although, you know, it looked like, what was he, like something like one for 12, and then he, like, undressed uh, uh, Hector Neris this afternoon with, a like, a hard shot there in the, in the ninth inning, or was it, uh, uh, today. So, you know, maybe it's not completely over for Alonso yet. Now, uh, aside from the nickname, I think we're in lockstep uh, about the Sleepy Eye and Dopey. Um, yeah. But... This thought occurs to me. If if I was a player who um, you just described Dominic Smith as, a, a first baseman, maybe not without a lot of power, but who was a good hitter and went gap to gap, wouldn't you try to make friends with Keith Hernandez? I mean, yeah. just yeah. I mean, that just seemed, and I, I think Hernandez has made it abundantly clear that he doesn't offer his advice, but he's willing to help people who come to him. Yeah. I mean, I just think that, and I just think that a the advice that you you would get couldn't possibly hurt, and then just the idea that you know you're you're playing the PR game and and reaching out to to one of the most visible members for the fans at least is you know the the, the broadcasters, yeah. and if all of a sudden uh, Keith says, well, I was talking to Dominic Smith today, and da 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 da. Dom's, he's a great kid. Da, 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 da. And I think everyone's perception of him would change overnight. That's that's uh, that's probably true. But you know what? People's perceptions will change uh, if he keeps uh, playing the way he has so far as well. So and then and then you know, uh, look, yeah, I I don't I don't pretend to know what's in the minds of these guys. Uh, you know, maybe he's afraid to talk to Keith Hernandez. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and uh, is intimidated in his presence as I would be if I were a uh, young first baseman in the Mets organization. But you know, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's certainly a a, a good suggestion and, and uh, probably couldn't hurt. Now, we got a situation once again where Jason Vargas will not be pitching on normal rest. They're going to move him up because uh, Jacob uh, Degrom strep through. Yeah. Now, in the in the press conference following. Uh, Vargas's last uh, start, which was a disaster, you know, he pretty much said, you know, like, well, you know, he's he's a he's a uh, a feel kind of guy, and he needs to be on a regular rotation, and he hadn't pitched or he hadn't started a game in eleven days, so it wasn't a huge surprise that this happened. So, right. the, what are the they weather doing? hasn't been great, and uh, you know, he's thirty six years old, and he's only so good to begin with. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I I don't doubt that that. Um, Vargas can be one of those kind of effective back of the rotation kind of crafty guys, but he has to do it, you know. So, um, yeah, at some point they gotta they gotta think hard about cutting bait with him. But I guess it's a little bit early to do that, you know. But if he bombs in this appearance, 
it, will the 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 pressure from the public be too much to ignore? I mean, but what are you going to do then? Go to go to Walker Lockett or you know uh, Drew Gagneau again? I mean, they're only going to give you so much, also. So yeah, I mean, uh, um, yeah, I think I think you know the the Vargas deal uh, and along with the with the Frazier deal were, were both kind of mistakes, I think, uh, last year. Whereas, you know, where, where I in charge and I, I understand that, you know, the Wilpons were trying to get, um, Alderson fired and weren't giving him the kind of, <laughs> kind of, uh, dry powder he needed to be successful. Um, you know, rather than going for a number five guy, you know, I would have tried to go for a number one guy and, and, and try to challenge DeGrom and Syndergaard out of the jobs rather than, you know, uh, uh, whoever the number six guy was last year, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I listen, they're already under the gun. I, I, I read shortly before uh, we got out together that, that somebody had put out a rumor that um, – the Mets were interested in Mike Miner of Texas in a trade, um, and and Miner's apparently off to a good start. So I'll bet they're thinking about it, uh, you know. But you know, all things being equal, Vargas figuring it out the way he did towards the end of last year would be the best, you know, option for them, so they wouldn't have to waste any more minor league talent on a uh, on a pitcher they need to in a trade or or overspend whatever you know fake budget they have. By getting Dallas Keuchel, who you know what, if you look carefully at Dallas Keuchel's numbers, you can understand why he hasn't been signed yet. Um, n- not to say he's a bad pitcher, but not, but he's not, uh, he's not what his brand name would suggest. Um, you know, given his, uh, you know, given what he's done the last couple of years. All right, we have reached the crazy prediction uh, time of the show. I'll give you a crazy prediction ask you to comment on it, and then ask you to give me a, a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I guess so. All right, my crazy prediction is that despite playing in all but one game so far, uh, that uh, our buddy uh, Robinson Cano finishes with fewer than 500 plate appearances. So tell me, how crazy is that? Is it because he gets hurt? Oh, uh, that's. I'll leave that up to your imagination. Yeah. If he gets hurt, it's easy to it's easy to imagine. I and if he he could get hurt, he could get busted for a, a drug busted test for, violation. He could yep. uh, continue, continue to, to hit one ninety two. Yeah, yeah. So there's I mean, options. Those are, yeah, those are three things, and there none of them are unreasonable for a thirty six year old infielder. I would say that you know if those things don't happen, he'll get five hundred at bats. Um, but 500 is probably about the right number, you know. Um, 500 is plenty of at bats for a guy his age, particularly if you're going to have uh, McNeil to give starts to, um, if the you know the infield positions go away and or the outfield positions later. So that's cra- It's it's not that crazy. That's a pretty sane prediction. All right, you you didn't like mine, so show me what a crazy prediction is like. What's yours? The Mets have one one All Star in the uh, all-star game and his name is Ahmed Rosario wow well um uh without thinking about it too hard I'm gonna say crazy yeah I think that's Um, crazy too because I I didn't now as as, as soon as I said it I realized I didn't like mentally check off the the National League shortstops in my head 
Um, well, I I wouldn't be concerned about it from that point of view. I'd be concerned about Rosario playing well enough to make the team, and then the well, other that's that too. That, that's the crazy part about that, it. That uh, <laughs> that Michael Conforto won't be uh, uh, a pick. Yeah, Conforto could join him. McNeil could join him. Alonso could join him. Degrom or Syndergaard could join him. Yeah, Edwin you're Diaz. Edwin Diaz could join him. Yeah, you're right. So I'm 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 sorry, crazy man. All right, well I, let's. I, let, I, can I amend I quickly, it? I quickly got the stamp out and said crazy. All right, amend it. Uh, Ahmed Rosario makes the all-star team. Still crazy. Ir- irrespective of uh, his other Met teammates. All right. Not not as crazy, but still okay. still crazy. All right. He almost uh, looks like a good play. He's almost looked like a, a very good player this year. The past couple I, nights he's been bad, but um, uh, he's almost looked like a, a very good player uh, a couple times this year. And it's funny how quickly fans forget how young he is and how, you know, sort of, I mean, he was a bigger prospect than anybody who's come up, uh, you know, bigger than Dom Smith, uh, uh, more highly ranked than Alonzo coming into, um, you know, his year. He's he's a shortstop. Um, And sometimes, you know, 22-year-olds take a little while to, to, to get up there. At the time that he was promoted, I, I think he was a consensus top five prospect, and go. I believe Keith Law had him ranked number one. Yeah, I mean he's only tw- what is he? He's twenty three. I mean, jeez, he could be very good. Still, uh, I agree that there's there's lots of untapped potential. Uh, I just think that it, it's optimistic to think that he's going to play well enough to get an All Star berth this year. I've been so pessimistic in this interview that I figured maybe we should have some. Some, some optimistic things. There, there uh, you go. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, the Mets were in first place what two days ago, and yeah. and you know, I mean, to me, they look and now like we're a in wreck. fourth, right? Or yeah, something well, like that. <laughs> but I mean, they they're a rambling wreck. I mean, they, it, it is great that they're scoring six runs a night, uh, and it's terrifying that they're almost losing every night because yeah, despite that. All right. Um, well, I'm afraid I've I've got another bit of a downer question, and that, and that's uh, Brandon Nimmo and his strikeout rate, uh, 38.2 K percentage, uh, coming in today, and he didn't play today, yeah. um, but um, seemed like he was maybe turning around, at least was making good contact when he made contact, and and now he's got a sore neck, uh, and and who knows how long he's going to be out? You know, they've got the off day tomorrow, so maybe maybe he'll be able to be back in there Friday. I think that's still up in the air now, but. I th- yeah, I think the Mets were counting on him, and then to to be you know at least a reasonable facsimile of the guy that he was last year, and and can they count on somebody who strikes out nearly forty percent of the time to be a star? Well, I don't think he's going to strike out forty percent of the time for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, I guess that's my uh, my my take on him. You know, he probably wasn't as great as he was for that. F- you know that that stretch up until say August or what have you, um, when he was really I mean he was uh, OPSing better than than um, Bryce Harper for a while. Um, but uh, you know he, he's earned enough uh, juice with me to get off to a bad start and strike out a bit. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, you know kick him out of bed yet. Um, uh, and we'll see. You know hopefully he's not. This injury isn't bad. They they they've already said that they don't expect him to go on the disabled list, which, as you know, probably means he will. But you know, um, <clears throat> I, I'm 
I'm a, I'm not alarmed. I'm a little bit unhappy with his start, and I'm sure he is too. Um, you know, my concern with Nemo is that you know he's he's taken a few too many Instagram pictures with his wife and his little tiny toy dog in their apartment in New York, <laughs> and maybe he's not you know focused enough on being vicious to uh, opposing pitchers. Maybe he's he's a little bit too nice. It, it it was disheartening to to see him getting beat consistently upstairs and then become so concerned about the pitch upstairs that he started to swing it at pitches around his ankles, which yeah. he never did last yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, like hitting baseball is hard, and people get into bad habits. They they slump. Um, you know, things happen. You know, Nimmo probably always strike out a little bit more than you'd prefer for a guy that who does what he does, but. Um, you know, you kind of live with it. I, I think he's, I think he's all right, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you know, finally in his career, he's kind of got this opportunity to play every day, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he does with it. You know, he's got a pretty long leash with me. All right, well, let's get uh, one more question in here, and, and given your uh, uh, some of your statements earlier, I think with I know which direction you're going to head in, but uh, if you were the GM, and and ownership said you could. Sign one more player. Would you go for uh, Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell? Well, I mean, in in this scenario, they sign for the same amount of money for the same number of years or whatever. Yeah, let's call it a one-year deal. Okay. Um, Keuchel? Um, And the reason I say that is, uh, you know, he'll take a little bit of pressure off everybody um whereas whereas Kimbrel who won't sign for a year anyway <laughs> um will make a, a a crowded situation a little more crowded um I, I i think there's there's probably a bigger need for a competent starting pitcher than a competent reliever on the Mets, and, and uh, you know, with the idea that um, you know, if it's Mats or or Vargas who get kicked out of the rotation, maybe they become the relievers you need to need them to be. So I guess I'm really surprised at your answer, and I'm even more surprised by the rationale for your answer. The, yeah. the bullpen is already too crowded. I mean, it's crowded with stiffs. Send, it's crowded uh, with stiffs, but I mean, the you know, two, you know, the. the uh, you know, unless unless Familia's hurt, uh, I'm 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 I believe he'll, he'll he'll figure things out. You know, maybe he's just again, uh, maybe it's a cold weather thing with him. Um, uh, you know, maybe he just needs to get a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I just feel like quality starters are a little bit rarer thing on the Mets right now because you know they seem. Pardon me. So disinclined to use Lugo as a starter, Gazelman as a starter, and then again you got at the bottom of the rotation, um, Mats, who I've lost all patience with uh, years ago. Despite you know he's gonna he's gonna you know throw throw three or four near you know seven inning shutouts every year, and then he's gonna have games like the other night where he's gonna give up a five run lead. He's gonna you know, uh, terrible body language, all that problem. I, I really feel like Matt's needs to be dealt with in some way. And, and 
you know, maybe an assignment to the bullpen, not unlike Matt Harvey last year, will kind of like finally prove what he's made of. And, and that is, you know, is he going to succeed as, as a Met or does he need to be uh, uh, dealt with some other way? Um, and, uh, and, or, and or Vargas. And look, Vargas probably won't be a very effective uh, short reliever, but he could be the, the, uh, the guy you bring in when, when Matt's gets, you know, knocked around in the first inning or, or Dallas Keuchel gets banged around in the fourth inning. The thing I like about Keuchel is that, again, I'm, I'm basing this on his better his better era, but to me, he seemed to me, and I, I don't generally make decisions like this, but he seemed to be a kind of a big game kind of guy. Like he, uh, if my memory might be wrong about this, but I always felt like when he went up against the Yankees, he was like extra motivated to kick their ass, and um, it kind of came up big in some situations, and you know. Um, that kind of thing. So I'm thinking maybe you know if a team shows him some love and gives him the opportunity that he's that he's missing out on, he'll reward them with a little bit of glory. Whereas you know Kimbrel um, kind of went into the off season with this idea that he'd be anointed somebody's closer, and everybody else sort of went with a dance partner. Well, Kimbrel just really did himself a disservice by asking for the contract that he allegedly yeah. did. I mean, yeah. he wanted, what, six years and however much money at those six years? And yep. nobody was going to give a, a closer that type of contract. And yeah, he priced himself out of a job. Yeah. And, and prior to the, the start of the off season, I thought Craig Kimbrell would have been a great fit on the Mets. But certainly I wouldn't have given him a six-year deal, even though I was probably one of his biggest supporters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, and we got we got Diaz and we got Familia. So it wasn't like it wasn't like there was a need for a big name, you know, uh, uh, another big name reliever. I I'm I'm skeptical of of jamming your bullpen with four closers or whatever. I know I know there's probably teams that have been successful doing it, but um, the Yankees haven't been too bad. Yeah, I mean. The, there you go, but you know that that's not going to make up for 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 everything. I don't know. I don't know. Look, if he, if he if he were affordable and uh, they had a role for him, you know, I I I I wouldn't kick him out. But you're asking me one or the other. I I go for more starter depth at this point. It's a long season. I I think that generally speaking, you want a starter rather than a reliever. You build your team focusing on your starters and then you move to your bullpen there you but go. I think I think that in in this particular case of, of this team I think that you would get more bang for your buck from Kimbrel all right well we can we I think reasonable people can disagree on that well t- uh, that's a pretty good assumption calling yourself reasonable huh <laughs> yeah yeah all right well I have I've used up all my questions for you do you have anything else that that, that you want to contribute before we I, we sign I, off? I've got nothing to promote. Um, I, I'll say that uh, uh, earlier this year, my, my website, which where, where I track the Mets uniform numbers, turned 20 years old, which wow. I think is... is um, that, that's it, a... Yes, that's, a, that's a, an impressive, an impressive uh, milestone. I was, uh, I was obsessing, you know... Uh, uh, and, and here's an interesting thing. So 20 years ago, uh, yeah, I was writing about Ricky Henderson and... and uh, you know, Oral Hershiser and, you know, these kinds of guys who were on the Mets at that time. 
And I got a, you know, you get those Facebook notifications, you know, of your old photographs. Right, right. So this morning I got, um, 10 years ago tonight was my first night at City Field. And, nice. And, uh, yeah, I saw John Main get his ass kicked <laughs> by, uh... So that could have been one of any, like, 50 starts. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the first, it was the first one, uh, at City Field. Um, and so, uh, there you go. So that, that's all I have to promote for myself right now, um... Uh, so yeah, I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity to do that much. So I I think this is the uh, ninth year of of Mets 360, and I've been with other websites before that. But uh, I I feel like it's it's given me a, a gray hair or, or twelve in <laughs> in nine years. So I, I can't imagine how you you're feeling it at twenty years. Well, you know, only publishing things when I feel like it, and not on a regular basis, has has both kept it going and kept it from being very popular. So, you know, that's, that's it's a balancing act. It, it really is. It really is. Sometimes I like I'm like bursting with things to say. And there are there are some weeks where I'll, I'll post three or four times, a, uh, you know, a week. Um, but on the other hand, like I hadn't I haven't had anything to say uh, this year until um, earlier this week when I, I pointed out uh, my annual uh, tribute to a obscure Met who wore number 42 in the past. That was my uh, uh one post this week at Jackie Robinson Day, I, I will uh, facetiously celebrate Ron Hodges Day, or um, Roger McDowell Day, or Larry Elliott Day as uh, uh, Mets who number forty-two. Uh, I, I I definitely dig the, uh, the the call back to to Ron Hodges. I remember his uh, first at bat in the majors vividly. Um, but um, I heard something and just want to run this by you here real quick that uh, uh, they said during the uh, the broadcast, and they were talking about instead of having everybody wear 42, that each team should pick one guy on their team to, to make it even that much more of an honor. And I thought that that was a pretty good idea. because well, the, If you recall, that's how they did it initially. Uh, I don't remember that, but yeah. I wish they would go back to that because if nothing else, it was a mockery because they, they don't have the names on the back. And you... you even the announcers didn't know who was coming up. They, I mean, they misidentified than, a, a Phillies guy. I, I agree. And, you know, even worse than that, this idea of retiring a number, and I know this is popular among fans to feel like they have to retire a guy's number in order to honor him. But the real way to honor a player is not to retire the number, but to issue it again, you know, to keep it out, to keep it fresh, to keep it in memory. And and uh, you know maybe forty two is a is a is an exceptional exception, being uh, that it meant so much culturally as well as sort of baseball wise. But um, you know for a team or whatever, I mean there's there's talk now that the Latin players want to want to retire number twenty one, and I get it. But I also get that you know when Carlos Delgado came to the Mets, it, you know number twenty one, it meant a lot to him to be able to wear number twenty one because twenty five wasn't available. It happened to be on. Uh, Kaz Matsui's back at the time, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 think that's the way to honor the number, right? You got a you got a hot Puerto Rican player, you know, on your team, or or somebody who's who's you know respectful of of, of you know that bit of history. Let him wear the number, you know. That's why Mo Vaughn and and Butch Husky and uh, uh, a few other ball players, uh, you know, in the prior to uh, 1997. We're wearing uh, 42 because it was uh, their own tribute to to, to uh, Robinson, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of agree with you. It was better when the players who were moved to do it did it. And then, you know, MLB, as they do, you know, overly regimented everything and kind of turned it into a, a, a little bit of a joke. Uh, I don't mean a joke, but uh, it, it just it just is something that's a little bit too orchestrated and and uh, kind of took the, the, the fun and spirit out of it a little bit by making it a little bit solemn and... and you know, like a homework assignment, you know? Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> John, thanks for uh, coming on and, and working through some of the uh, the technical issues that we had earlier. I really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on 20 years. That's phenomenal. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me, Brian. We'll do it anytime. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.